We are doing, we're actually finishing a series today called Bless, which is a series that is looking at the fact that uh, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church, meaning the church isn't just some kind of organization that exists for itself. And then a part of what the church does is to uh, serve God's purposes in the world. And that's kind of this wing of the church. There's a mission of God, and that mission has a church. And so everything the church does, from gathering and worshiping and learning from the Word on Sunday morning to all the different large and small ways we as the people of God gather and then disperse throughout during the week, is, has to be understood within the broader mission of God to bring the love and uh, forgiveness and joy and purpose that can be found in Christ alone into the world in ways that are accessible and real for people. Now, that's a big vision, and so there are a lot of people, myself included, who can sometimes collapse under that sense of like, okay, that's a big vision, I want to do that, I want to live for God, I want to live into God's mission, but what does that look like? What does that look like in my everyday life as someone with a young family, or what does that look like as a junior high student, or how do I, how do I practice that as, a, as an empty nester at this stage of life? And the covenant has come up with this acronym, BLESS, to say the, there are five practices that we can all weave into our everyday lives. And as we practice these rhythms, these, these things become habits. And this is the way that the mission of the church moves forward, which is the mission of Jesus. And those practices are to begin with prayer, to in our relationships with other people, listen with care, to eat together, to serve with love, and then to share your story. And the idea here is simple, that for some of us, we might be doing these things in our lives, but probably for most of us, there's one or two areas that we need to grow in, that we either avoid or just don't really think about too often, but essentially we're not practicing them, but we as a church are called to learn to practice all of these things. And if we as a church were seeking to bless people in this way, then we would be strengthened in our faith. More and more people would be entering, entering into deeper conversations and um, seeking Christ in a more powerful way. And ultimately, people would be turning their lives over to Jesus. And that's shorthand for the mission of God, is to go into the world loving God, loving your neighbor, neighbor and making disciples. Today we end the series by looking at sharing your story. I want to read from 1 Peter 3, verses 18 to 16. This is written to a very early group of Christians from the Apostle Peter. This comes near the end of the book. And this is what Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes to this early community of Christians. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic and love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. And don't repay evil with evil or insult for insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good and he must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? 
But even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So verses 1 to 8 to me, uh, sorry, 1 to, yeah, uh, sorry, 8 to 14 would be kind of this encapsulation of this idea of blessing. Live to be a blessing. When evil comes, repay it with, by being a blessing. Keep your tongue from cutting people down and creating wounds and, and use your words to build people up. Um, don't pursue strife and contention. Pursue peace. Seek it out. Overcome evil with good and even be willing to suffer for what is right and be humble and compassionate. Live in harmony. You've been blessed by God. Seek to be a blessing to each other and to the wider world. That's why you've been called. So you will inherit that blessing. And then God's, uh, you kind of create this spiritual momentum where you are blessed to be a blessing and then you bless others and God continues to pour into your life and fill you with good things so that you can continue to be a conduit of blessing into the world. Um, And then, I think Peter's kind of assuming if you're doing that, what will happen in verse 15 is that people are eventually going to say, why do you live this way? Where where does this this resiliency come from? Where does this desire to forgive come from? Where does this wellspring of joy, even in the midst of suffering, come from? Why do you live this way? How do you live this way? And Peter says, when that happens, be ready to give an answer for essentially the question, why are you Christian? Why, why, Why do you live according to these principles when it would be so easy to live a different way? It would be so easier for you, so much more convenient for you. I see the cost that it incurs on your life. Why would you willingly step into that kind of posture towards reality? And so Peter here is talking about being prepared when we love other people well, not necessarily perfectly, but we love them well in such a way that they begin to ask us questions. And then we have an opportunity to evangelize. Now that might be a triggering word for different people in this room. It might be a triggering word if you're a Christian, because evangelism has a lot of connotations with forcing faith on people, forcing conversations about faith when people don't want to have them, turning people into a project or an agenda, and then getting swept up into, well, what are just kind of tips and tricks and ways that we can um, kind of manipulatively, but it's not manipulation because we love them, but we're still trying to find a way to trick and figure out little loopholes on how to insert God or God questions or things into the conversation. And so evangelism for some Christians is really heavily associated with some level of relational manipulation and inauthenticity. And if you're not a Christian in this room, that can be a very triggering word, especially if you've been on the receiving end of that kind of evangelism because you experience it as dismissive and it doesn't always or maybe seldom feels like it has your best interests at heart. It feels like you're being 
sold something, you're being pushed into something. Again, uh, you've been cornered, maybe at a family meal or a conversation with a coworker, and they kind of know you, they've got you as a captive audience, and now you just have to kind of be like, this is super awkward, I'm just going to nod and smile and, you know, hope this gets over really quick. But evangelism comes from, is rooted in the Greek word evangelion, which means good news. And so when we're evangelizing people, literally we're good newsing people. And if we're good newsing people well, people will receive that as good news. They will experience that as something, yes, maybe challenging, but also that was really engaging. And again, I think the BLESS acronym shows us a process of loving people and leading people into conversations about Jesus, God, the Bible, faith, in a way that both we and they can experience as, this was good, this was good news, this was life-giving, this didn't feel coercive or manipulative, it felt authentic. Sharing our story, the last part of BLESS, is really just about learning how to share how God has saved you, where God is leading you, what God is doing in your life, how God is leading you into newness of life. And the Covenant Church has intentionally used share your story and gotten away from the language of evangelism just to try and sidestep some of that baggage. That we are simply in relationship with people and we share our story. We share our story with our Christian brothers and sisters and we share our story with those who are not of faith. And we are learning to do that and should be learning to do that in a way that is respectful and winsome and kind and engaging to people. But I know that for many Christians, this is, of all the blessed elements, this is maybe the one that we feel the least competent in. I know I, know I do. I, I feel the least competent. And that might be surprising to some people, but it's easy for me as a pastor to get up here and to have something prepared and to kind of speak to... You know, preach to the choir, as it were. But in my everyday life, um, man, sharing my story, especially with people who uh, aren't Christians, maybe seekers or skeptics or maybe even antagonistic, that is something that is very easy for me to avoid. I think of all the practices within that blessed rhythm, and talking to a lot of you, I think this is the one that we struggle with the most as a church. Not in the sense of we want to have these conversations with our friends and neighbors and family members. It's just we don't know how to do it in a way that, again, feels authentic and genuine and not forced and not artificial. And we want to do it in a way that it, we feel confident and we feel that we can effectively share. But if we have any hesitation on any of those levels, most of our default is, well, we, we just won't share. We just won't share. And so today I want to work through four questions that are going to help expose our need to share the story and also to equip us to share it well and authentically. But I'm going to need a little bit of vulnerability and participation from you guys. The first question is, why do we need to share our story? You know, we can jump right into the how-tos and some, again, some of the tips and tricks stuff, but 
let's take a step back and say, why do we actually need to intentionally share our story of what God has done in our lives, what God is doing in our lives, where we feel like God is leading us, how that all ties into Scripture. Again, I'm using share your story in a way that kind of holds together your own personal testimony of God's work in your life and some kind of witness to the truth of Scripture and the truth of Christianity. Why do we need to share our story? And more specifically, you might say, I love the BLESS acronym. I love praying for people. I love listening to people. I'm willing to eat with people. I love serving people. But talking about faith stuff, oh, I don't want to be seen as preachy or, or um, I don't want to create tension points, so I'm just going to not do that part. Why don't we just like do bless like without the last E? We'll just cut that off. Let's just do that. I'm very comfortable with that. So let's just do that. Can you think of reasons why that, however well intended, is not necessarily a good idea? Why do we need to actually take that final step and share our story with those around us. The first share is always the most awkward. Okay, so to encourage others, we give voice to what God is doing in our lives and to Christians, whether they're in a place of strength or weakness, that can be tremendously encouraging. You know, I, in a, in a, yesterday, at, to come through Max's memorial, was this really strange dichotomy of deep, deep um, sorrow and grief, and yet I was also so pumped. I mean, you can only hear so many stories about Max before you, you're, you just get fired up, and you're like, yes, I want more of that. That was strengthening to me to hear the impact that Max not just had, but is having and will continue to have as people shared what God was doing in his life and through his life. That was awesome. And then it can encourage even people who aren't of faith. When you as a Christian share something, it might be something very small. Um, Many people are just encouraged that you're encouraged. And that can be a seed that gets planted in their minds. And so, yeah, as a source of encouragement... And sometimes when we speak those things, we get encouraged because it's been in our head and in our heart. But when you speak it out and you hear yourself say it, you're like, wow, that's actually pretty awesome now that I've said it out loud. So it kind of builds yourself up. What's another reason why we need to take that risk to share our story with other people? Oh, what a great insight. That's awesome. For those who are listening, the, the, the comment was, um, a lot of people think of religion as something ideological or abstract or very removed. And when we share our story, that really incarnates and makes real for people what a living, breathing faith looks like in everyday life. And your uh, testimony of what God is doing here or has done here just helps people connect the dots between what they might be tempted to think of as abstract belief and quote-unquote real life. And obviously, as a Christian, we hold those two together, but a lot of people see those two things as very far apart. And uh, sharing your story gives people a window into, oh, this actually does hit the ground level of life. And again, can plant that seed to have people saying, 
I want more of that in my life. I think I need more of that in my life. That, that is very attractive to me. People want an integration between their highest ideals and how that gets played out in their life. And when we share a story, that can help be an on-ramp into that journey. Maybe one more reason why it's important for us to share a story. Joe? Awesome. Yeah, it makes it more personal. We're not, um, again, pulling out a pamphlet and, and walking people through the pros and cons of, again, a certain kind of ideology or religion. It's putting a human face to things and giving people a window, not just into you as a person, which helps them to grow in that relationship, but it also gives them a window into, um, into God, right? I mean, that's part of the reason why Jesus comes. We had the law before. We had lots of truths about God. But Jesus comes to fully incarnate and show us what truth in the flesh looks like. What it really looks like to hold all of these priorities of God together. Jesus is the ultimate um, fulfillment of that. I think the other thing that I would say that you know, sometimes is uh, kind of staring us in the face, but it's easy to miss, um, the vast majority, and it's not all, but the vast majority of people become Christians because someone else has told them about their faith and what it means to become a Christian. Right? If I had a friend in grade nine who told me about Jesus, said it's important to you to ask Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. That's what it means to be a Christian. You've got to be willing to follow him for your whole life. If she'd never gotten to that point, if all she'd ever done was continue to pray for me, and continue to eat with me at lunch, and continue to serve me in different ways, um, and listen to me, I might not have connected that to my actual need of Jesus. But she, in sharing her story, and in sharing the good news of what God has done in and through Jesus, and how that could directly impact me, I became a Christian. Paul writes in Romans 10, how can they, meaning people, just people out there who don't know Jesus, how can they call on one that they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in someone of whom they haven't heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So at some point, our lifestyle of blessing needs to lead to helping people into the truth of who God is, who we are, how we're called to live. And I think that also ties into this point that I have here is that we, we want to make sure, I want to make sure people in my life understand what my true motives are. And what I mean by that is there's a parable that Andrew Wilson out of the UK wrote on a blog uh, two years ago called The Parable of the Lawnmower, where he said, I had a neighbor who didn't have a lawnmower and I kept leaning, uh, loaning him my lawnmower. And uh, make a long story short, he kind of said, I was praying for my neighbor and I was giving my neighbor my lawnmower, but he said, I needed to pray that God would give me an opportunity to explain to my neighbor that part of the reason why I'm doing this is because I love him as a neighbor and I believe God loves him as a neighbor and I'm a Christian and I want to show that love. And he says, if I don't get a chance to say that, that the danger will be my neighbor will just think I'm a nice guy. That'll be the danger. My neighbor will just think, oh, Andrew's a really nice guy. And Andrew's like, I hope I am a nice guy, and I hope my neighbor associates me with being nice, but I also want him to associate with me with a Jesus follower who is loving him beyond even just offering a lawnmower. I want my neighbor to know that if he needed to ask greater or more significant things of me or my family, I would do it because I love him, and God loves him, and I want to share that story with him. 
So we share our stories so that people understand the root of our love. Because I think a Christian's love, it has to move beyond just, well, we just want to be nice because being nice is nice. We are to be loving and sacrificially loving because that is how God has loved us. And we've received that kind of love. Now we're learning to extend that love to other people in the world. So question number two, why don't we share our story? What is it that keeps you or people that you've talked with from actually taking that leap of faith? What are some reasons why we don't share our story? Great. We don't want to appear arrogant that we have the answer and that they don't. And that's especially heightened in our culture, which everyone's kind of bought into some idea of religious or moral relativism, meaning everything is relative. You do what works for you. I do what works for me. No one should feel like they have a right to impose their worldview on another person, right? Which itself is a worldview, right? The idea that you shouldn't impose your worldview on another person is someone's worldview imposition on the way things should be but that's a different sermon. But yeah, sometimes we hesitate because we're concerned that if I say, if the conversation comes up, and I even have to sheepishly admit, yeah, I actually do think Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I don't think healing and restoration from the kinds of wounds that this world can bring into your heart is possible outside of Christ. I believe that God is good. I believe that God is a plan. I believe God is leading history somewhere. I believe God has a purpose for your life. Even some of those more positively spun statements, they can still feel intellectually imperialistic to people. Who are you to claim you know how I should live? And I have that sensitivity, and that sensitivity is there. And so that does take a certain, it takes a huge amount of risk to say, yeah, it might get interpreted like that. But again, the fear to simply not do that for fear of it being interpreted in that way, um, I don't think should stop us, but I totally understand that. I think that's big for a lot of people. We don't want to come across as holier than thou, preachy, that we know all the answers. We need to somehow communicate our faith in a way that says, I actually don't know all the answers, but I know that Jesus is the answer, so I'm pointing to him. Let's journey towards him more and more. What's another reason why we don't share our story? Or maybe why we're really hesitant to? Great, absolutely. So they might kind of replay the whole relationship and say, wait a second, this was all a, a, a long-term con. You said you were in a relationship with me. You wanted to be my friend, but you had this ulterior agenda. You had this ulterior motive. And so that can raise this question of, again, do I even know this person? Do I know you? Know, can I trust you now? Has this? And that's why when you bless people, prayer, listening, eating, serving, you have got to do it with no strings attached. You, you just have to do that as a Christian. You have to be willing to love and invest in people because they're... Uh, worthy of God's love, because God loves them, full stop, not in the hopes that maybe, or they'll have this sense of accrued blessing, and then they'll feel like they owe you something. It's you bless them, full stop, so that when you share your story, that feels to them like you're not asking for repayment 
or you're not calling in the debt that, right? And I've known people who've done this. I've had, I've had the experience myself where I don't tell someone who's evangelizing me that I'm a Christian or I'm a pastor, and I, um, we're in dialogue, but it kind of becomes clear, even in a short duration of time, they're only interested in me to the extent that I stay interested in what they want to talk about. And, and, and again, as long as I'm inside of their agenda, it's good. But the moment that I were to say, mm, no thanks, they're going to drop me. And some Christians do that. And that's terribly lamentable, where we love people on the condition that they are going to respond in a certain way. And then when they don't, we leave the relationship or drop them. And that does confirm that our love wasn't genuine and it wasn't based on God. It was based on human strategy and manipulation. So yeah, we need to make sure that we're loving people well, full stop, simply to honor God and to honor them and not with some expectation so that when these conversations come up, they understand, no, I I know that the reason why Sally was loving me, uh, I know she's a Christian and she probably, you know, we've talked about it, she wants me to become a Christian, but whether I do or not, she's going to keep loving me. That's what all of the people in our lives should be feeling and experiencing. Sorry, Robin, did you have your hand up? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Robin just mentioned fear of rejection. Maybe you have this really strong relationship. It has momentum. And, oh, do I throw in the Jesus card? How's that going to interfere? Is this going to you know, spoke in the wheel and this whole thing is going to come undone? So it's a huge fear and it takes a huge amount of faith to say, God, I'm trusting you with this. Like, I don't want this to ruin the relationship. But I definitely have had relationships where even in the context of, I think, respectful, gentle sharing, the person has just been like, nope, I'm out. Because their heart is so resistant to hearing anything. Anything's triggering for them. God talk, church talk. Uh, My own dad is kind of like that. Like our relationship is completely stalled out because I can't share anything meaningful in my life because anything proximal to Jesus, God, the Bible, faith is triggering to him and he gets angry. And so, you know, I understand there are people out there that for all kinds of reasons, um, this can be a landmine. And so some, some of us just don't share because we, we don't want to, in a sense, wake the dragon. But, again, this is why sharing your story is an act of faith. Number three, how do we share our story? We know the reasons, some of the reasons why we don't share our story. How do we overcome them? How do we do it? Well, here's a few things that I've learned over the years. First of all, from the passage that we looked at today, we always do so with gentleness and respect. That's, anybody who has a serious engagement with us in matters of faith, whether it's over coffee or very quickly um, or in a long-term relationship, they should associate those conversations with gentleness and respect. No one's being cornered. No one's being bullied. No one's being uh, condescended to. No one's being spoken down to. Again, we're doing twice as much listening as we're actually... Uh, saying, and even more so, I would, I think, I had a little note here, I think we kind of get this in the one-on-one stuff in real life. I think it's harder to do this in kind of social media and in the online world. 
Social media kind of rewards people who are a little bit more bombastic and confrontational in some ways. And so I think it's really important, regardless of what kind of social media we're in, to, as we share our story, to remember that gentleness and respect is an ethic that has to pervade all of our lives through all of the mediums. I also think that we do... Sharing our story becomes most effective when it happens at the end of the blessed process. I, I talked about this at the start of this series. We spend a lot of time praying for people. We spend a lot of time listening to where they're at in their relationship and showing God's love by listening and letting them know that they are cared for. And we eat together. We get to know their hopes and their dreams. We serve them. And then out of that, ideally, they come to us and say, why do you live this way? I want to understand this. Or so, like I know you're really religious, I guess, but like, what does that mean? But we've loved them to a point where they're now very curious and there's a tension within them that says, I've got to resolve this. Because this person isn't living congruently with how I think normal life is lived. What's the power and the motivation out of which this person is living? And so if we're doing those first four steps well, I think these conversations can flow more easily. I think you need to do it honestly and authentically. Um, I don't like following canned processes for how to share your faith because, again, it just feels like more like a marketing strategy. And uh, I don't want to ever be accused of trying to market Jesus. I want to share what God is doing in, in my life and have people have the Holy Spirit fill in the blanks and have it feel always genuine and natural from my point of view. And I think we should share our faith in faith that God is going to use it beyond visible results. Sometimes you do have that conversation and someone's like, yeah, I don't know where this makes where this is our relationship now. You've kind of introduced this God card, and it's kind of awkward. I really respect you, but uh. And so sometimes the results, even in the short term, don't even look like anything positive happened, but we continue to pray, and we continue to share our story in faith that God will do it and use it. So last question is, what, what do I say? Um, we can understand some of our motives. We want people to come to know Jesus. We want people to grow in Jesus. We want to name and confront and then overcome some of the hesitancies that we have, some of the fears that we have, however grounded, the risks that are involved. We want to operate out of this posture of doing it with gentleness and respect. What am I supposed to say? And lots written here under the sun. I'm going to give you one of the best practices that I've ever learned. Um, and it is a practice. And therefore, it's something you have to actually practice. Peter told the church, be prepared be prepared to give an account when someone asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. And that means you have something prepared, which means you've written something down. And I think every Christian in this room should have written down and should know more or less by heart three levels of sharing your story. The first level is a 30-second, what I would call, elevator pitch. This is in 30 seconds how would you respond to a question like, so uh, I, I heard you talking about like you go to a youth group on Wednesday night. Like, are you like, are you like super religious? How are you going to answer that in 30 seconds? Um, a coworker says, oh, um, you're, you read the Bible, right? Like, do you honestly like believe all that stuff? Do you believe everything the church teaches you? 30 seconds, how are you going to answer that? Maybe something as simple as, what does God mean to you? Or why, why are you a Christian? Or what does it mean to be a Christian for you? 30 seconds. And this can be something, obviously, obviously it has to be very short. 
but not just to be like, yeah, okay, I'll be prepared to write at least one down, maybe a few, so that in that moment, and I've had this happen, this happens to me all the time, where I'm at the gym, I'm in, having a conversation, I'm doing drop-off or something, and a parent says something, and I have a, I'm prepared, I have a few different um, elevator pitches that I use that are in my language, that make, that kind of speak to what God has done in my life, and I say, you know, here we are. I think you also need a five-minute kind of shorter summary for those times when you have more time and the person's asking deeper questions. And I, I just organize that around four major spiritual turning points in your life. And so for me, that would be my eyes uh, coming to faith at um, grade nine, kind of a new level of intensity of faith in university and then kind of getting married and in the context of marriage and seeking out a life together, feeling the call of God to move into pastoral ministry. Those are the four major spiritual turning points in my life. And I can talk for about five minutes explaining how each of those are connected to God's work in my life. And then a 30-minute one. You might not have as many opportunities to share what I would call this grand narrative of, you know, tell me your whole story and all, all the stuff about God's been working in your life, but you might, but you should write it down and you should speak it out loud, if only to yourself, because to go back to Rita's point, it will encourage you. A lot of people have kind of a fuzzy memory of like, yeah, God's done stuff in my life. When you write it down and you give name to it and you articulate it and then you speak it out and you speak it out to another person, you do find yourself getting excited because you're like, whoa, this is, this is really real. Like, wow, God's, I don't, I've got way more than 30 minutes to talk about. How am I going to narrow this down to 30 minutes? And so these are three things that I would actually challenge you to do even this week, especially the first two. That's a command in Scripture. Be prepared. Write down a short, pithy way to say, yeah, like I became a Christian when I was in grade nine and since then have continued to dig into Scripture and follow Jesus and I just think there is uh, no one like him. He just has transformed my life. Done. There's my you know, one context for a 30-second response. But I think all of us need to have these three levels. And they should blend some level of personal testimony and theological conviction. You want to talk about the gospel, manger, cross, crown. You want to include something about Jesus' incarnation or death or resurrection. And again, the longer you can share, the more you can weave that in. But it's a good practice for us to actually write these things down. Because a lot of people, what they expect is, well, if a situation like that comes up, God will just give me the words. And that is not my experience. And that's honestly not the experience of most Christians who are honest with themselves. That's kind of like Christian subculture. Speak for, I'll just be lazy and not do the work, and then in the moment, God will provide the answers that I need. God sometimes, in a moment, will give you a certain word to say, but Peter says to the early Christian community, you don't presume on that, you be prepared. You be prepared. You do your work and be ready so that when someone says, why do you live this way? Um, well, um, hmm, yeah, uh, good question. Um, well, I, I believe in helping people. Uh, you're, you're not fumbling. You can say, and sometimes I'll even say, 
do you really want to know? Because that gives them one more exit, one more off-ramp before they're like, oh, this is going to get Jesus-y, isn't it, right? Especially at the gym. I work out with you know, people at the gym. I work out with a lot of guys at the gym. And they know I'm a pastor. And that's, that's, that's a real, uh, I got to share a story. I had a, a, a guy this week. Um, we work out together uh, and um, we've worked out together for uh, six or seven months. And this just kind of talks about the blessed process. And I've been praying for him and listening a lot of the time. And I, pretty early on, he found out that I'm a Christian and was asking me what that means. So he calls me father or reverend or pastor indiscriminately every day. Lately, he started calling me Flanders. Whenever we, when we work out together, um, if we do team exercises, our team is always the devil and the preacher. And uh, he ribs me like that. The other day, we were warming up and he was doing jump squats. He was like, hey, Jeff, look. And I looked over and he goes, this is as close as I'm ever going to get to heaven. And he was jumping up and down. But I share that story because on Friday, I stayed late with him because he was going to two funerals on Saturday. And one of the funerals was from a teacher that he had had in high school and respected and just died of old age. And the second one was a friend who had taken his life. And so I stayed about an extra half an hour and, and talked and listened to him. And one of the things that I said was I said, you know, if you ever come across a person who's in that kind of situation, you let them know they could come and talk to me. And he said, I, I know I would do that. He said, I, I know that you would talk to them. And so even to this point, you know, I haven't shared my story. He's asked me a little bit about, you know, do I have to go to school to become like a God man or whatever and things like that. But the blessed process works if we're loving people well. But I'm also called to be prepared for that time when this guy, you know, in between hulking around the huge weight that we obviously do because we're awesome, um, <laughs> says, so Jeff... What's, what's the source of your superhuman strength? No. Um, I am, I'm called to be prepared so that I can give a winsome, gentle, respectful response that hopefully doesn't lead him to become disengaged from our relationship, but communicates to him, that's interesting, I'd like to know more. And that can take time, but I think we need to be prepared. So that's my takeaway this week. Be prepared. Sharing your story is always messy. Um, you're never going to get it right. You're never going to arrive at this perfectly crafted, this is exactly what I need to say in this situation. And if I do, then it'll work 100% of the time. That's not the way life works. That's not the way God works. God is always using an insufficiency of loaves and fishes, but we still got to bring loaves and fishes. So be prepared, but trust God. And this would be my thing. I wrote this down and I underlined it and I bolded it because I need to hear it. An imperfect testimony often told is better than a perfected testimony never shared. An imperfect testimony often told is better than a perfected testimony never shared. And when we share our faith from a place of praying for someone and listening with care to them and taking time to eat together and serving them in love in ways big and small, your story will almost always be received with at least appreciation. It really honestly will. And it will always bring glory to God. And so let's prepare to share our story and then pray for God to open up opportunities to share that in a way that brings him glory and draws people closer to Jesus.
Let's pray. God, we are blessed by you, but it's not for us. We are blessed to be a blessing, to take the riches that you have given us in Christ individually and as a group and to go into our marriages and our families and our friendships and our sports teams and our schools and our workplaces and into the world and be a people that bring good news. Use us to that end, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.